0: It's the Limbaugh Podcast Show With Brian, Christine, Clay, you know And guests who drop on by
1: welcome to The Limbaugh, a podcast about the Presidential Medal of Freedom, people who have received it, people who should receive it, and people who should not have received it. I am one of your hosts, Brian Tuft.
2: I'm Christine Sear.
1: And I'm Clay Russell. Guys, how are we feeling? What a week.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Feeling okay. Um... I feel like I'm finally paying attention to the mayoral primaries in New York City. I don't know if anyone else is.
0: No, not at all. <laughs> I, I feel bad.
2: We're all uh, just like so spent, but it's like... After
0: 2020, yeah.
2: Well, there's that, and then there was like... Do you guys remember what a like constant bag of drama the last time we had a Democratic uh, primary here in New York City? It was the Anthony Weiner <laughs> primary, oh, and we ended up with Bill de Blasio just that's because... Right. Like, I don't know. Everyone was just like, that guy, like after uh, Carlos Danger had to bow out in disgrace.
0: Like one of the qualifications uh, is that the uh, mayor did not expose himself. Uh, That was one of the ways that you could get into office back then
1: framing it by telling us that that's how we got bill de blasio is truly the ultimate reminder that he is the gift that just keeps on giving like there was the email scandal on the laptop for like hillary. hillary yeah like yeah. wow thank you so much anthony Weiner. oh he's one of the most <laughs> consequential people
0: in american history and i'm not exaggerating That is
2: not a compliment maybe yeah. he could be a future limbaugh recipient we'll see <laughs> uh, yeah. For having the <laughs> the that. worst effect on and it's crazy because like I don't know if you guys um like when he was sort of this firebrand, like congressman making dramatic speeches on the floor, like I liked him. I was excited about him. Like it's he was easy a to,
0: darling of the daily show too.
2: It was it's easy to forget now that he truly was this like rising star in the Democratic Party and Absolutely, then, yeah. like so many men before him. Uh, his downfall was, um, being a man. His... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Let's just leave it at that. Right.
0: But I mean, there are, I'm sure that someone is going to reach through their, their phone and, and strangle me when I say this, but there are some parallels from those early Anthony Weiner days when he was in Congress and AOC and that like, Anthony yeah, Wiener was,
2: yeah. was,
0: you know, very vocal about his liberal beliefs and wasn't necessarily, uh, ironically, that Clinton era of shying away from, from having any type of left-leaning views. He, uh, you yeah. know, he was proud of his viewpoints, but uh, oh boy, is he a flawed human being.
2: <laughs> well, Yeah. And on that note, the person I'm most excited about for the primary is Maya Wiley, who don't rule her out just because she's a former de Blasio staffer. She's basically, like, disavowed him. Um,
1: I still argue that hating Bill de Blasio is the last bipartisan issue in New York. It doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum. If you walk outside right now and say, I hate Bill de Blasio, somebody will tell you, me too.
2: I know. That's, in my family, there's very, very little common ground, and being anti-De Blasio is is one of the few. So I'm going to miss that, actually, because uh, hopefully I'll like the next mayor more.
0: I I intentionally have kept myself uh, away from the mayoral coverage. I am intending on really looking into it about a month before the primary. Why, Why Maya Wiley? Why do you like her?
2: Yeah, no, she didn't have, um, she wasn't chair of anything, but she worked for, um, she was in the district attorney's office in New York. She was a counsel to Bill de Blasio. Um, She worked for the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, the ACLU, you know, she's just, um, so she's a woman of color. She's a black woman.
0: Yeah. And a reminder, unbelievably, New York City has never had a woman mayor before.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So I just – I don't know. I just – and I get, like, a good vibe from her. I started going to, like, Zoom meetings with her committee or her campaign, and I just kind of, like – I hate to say it, but it's so hard to stay engaged Absolutely. over Zoom. And I just yeah. – sort of, so I just, like – I'm just – and and aren't we going to have – okay, we're getting a little tangential here, but are we going to have – this is going to be the first election since um, ranked-choice voting – uh, was enacted for New York. So you are going to pick, you're going to be able to pick, you're going to, you don't just have to pick one person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know. Consider, consider Maya Wiley. That's all I'm saying.
0: All right. Brian, any, any thoughts on the mayoral candidates?
1: I just know, uh, after like a couple of times where he put his foot in his mouth, that I do not want it to be Andrew Yang. Um, Mm -hmm. as somebody who was, uh, you know, a casual member of the Yang gang during the 2020 presidential primary and thought he had, you were Yang curious. Uh, I definitely was, um, you know, I was, I was open for Yang. Um, but I just feel like the remarks about, could you imagine having to homeschool your children in a one bedroom apartment? Um, there's just like a, there's been a few incidents like that. And then when you look at the idea that he's, I think, if he hasn't outraised, I haven't looked at the figures. He's one of the top raisers or uh, top fundraisers for uh, donations, and almost all of them are coming from the national side. It's all people who are behind him for president, and I understand that that's mm-hmm. that's what happens when you're when you have a national profile. But it just no one I know who is from New York, and people I know who have lived here long term and are involved in politics and involved in you know services from the city no one has told me like it's Andrew Yang guys it's his time so
2: so you're calling him a carpetbagger that's what you're doing uh yeah I guess
1: I'm like those people who didn't want Hillary Clinton to be our senator Mm
2: -hmm. I feel
0: like I'm pretty uh up to speed with political news and even local political news I gotta be honest with you I'd never heard of Andrew Yang until the presidential campaign
2: same me too yeah and I mean, I liked what I saw. I wasn't like hard no on him. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there was nothing that lifted him to the top for me and clearly for anyone else because he had to drop out, didn't he? Uh,
1: if you do have any ideas or thoughts about the New York City mayoral race and you live in New York City, uh, you should tweet them to us or just follow along in general at, uh, at Limbaugh Podcast on Twitter. Uh, we'll be uh, you know, posting links for the show. We'll be sharing some thoughts and some Behind the scenes stuff. Uh there's gonna be some uh clips of Christine's career as a stand-up comedian. It's gonna be Mm -hmm. it's gonna be wonderful. Yeah.
2: Maybe some cat content. We'll see.
0: Yes, I'm I'm uh gently campaigning for Brian to uh post on Limbaugh Podcast. So we'll we'll see how it goes.
1: We'll see. You know, I'm I'm already so busy being a social media star in my own right. I don't know if I can do two
2: profiles. Yeah. I might even I might even unlock my personal account which has been locked for years now.
1: Open Shangri-La Christine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh this week we have a uh profile on Samuel Goldwyn to tie into our uh Oscar week that we are in, which is insane to think that the Oscars are this Sunday because What? No one. <laughs> yeah. No one is excited <laughs> Did for Did a movie
2: come out in the last year? I don't
1: uh, apparently yes uh and then not mm. just godzilla versus kong there's been other ones uh wow yes yeah and it's strange
0: too because even though it's godzilla versus kong uh both of them are nominated for lead
1: actor which i
0: mm. don't understand Splitting how that the works ticket. it's right
2: yeah
1: it's like that year francis mcdormand and kate hudson for almost famous you know we're gonna Marsha mm-hmm. gay Harden will somehow win best actor this year <laughs> and uh, she's overdue um circling back, do you guys have any apologies, anything you want to atone for for last week? I I do have one. Uh, Last week I mentioned
0: that uh, in the interview segment with uh, our favorite named Riley Cecil Taggart, I said that the last foreign national to receive the uh, presidential medal of freedom, uh, was Tony Blair awarded by George W. Bush. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would like to say that that is incorrect. Uh, there is an even more depressing answer than that. Uh, Gary player, who is a South African golfer, uh, was awarded the medal of freedom by president Trump, Uh, Gary player, if you don't know his story in his early years was a vocal, uh, person who spoke in favor of apartheid, uh, in his defense, he has since disavowed those views, but I do think that there are several golfers out there that, uh, deserve an award like that more than Gary player. I don't think he's done anything necessarily to further American values, uh, and even more, uh, disturbing is that he was given the medal the morning after the insurrection. So, uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately the truth is, is even sadder than the way that I framed it on the last show. So that is my correction.
1: I would love to have been at that ceremony. Like what a joyous and spirited time in Washington, DC. I can only imagine what the vibe in that room must have been. I'm sure amazing. And I wonder how many security checkpoints
0: uh, Gary Player had to go through uh, to receive his his medal.
1: I would wager that in 10 years, there's going to be those commercials that there are right now for like mesothelioma on September 11th, where it's like, if you were in the room when President Trump gave out the presidential medal after the insurrection, you may be entitled to financial compensation. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, stick around. Coming up, we have Clay's profile on Samuel Goldwyn his interview with comedian johnny chakravarti and our medals of the week
2: folks
0: get out your ball gown it's oscars week So this time, we are doing a profile. We are entering the Richard Nixon years. Uh, Surprisingly, a a very complex uh, group of people that Richard Nixon chose for the Medal of Freedom. He awarded the lowest number of people the medal based on the years that he was in office. And uh, just a, a very large, contradictory selection here. By the way, Christine is uh, talking to her cat right now. It's
1: very disturbing.
2: (laughs) He's chewing on my microphone.
1: Ah, Oh, okay. Good. He must be a Republican. He heard Nixon and just came running. and was like, ooh, oh my God. Yes. He
2: was framed.
1: (laughs) He was not a crook.
2: Ah.
1: (laughs) This week,
0: we are going to enter the movie business with a profile on Samuel Goldwyn. You may not know his name, but you know the uh, initial of his last name in the company MGM. He was one of the first movie uh, titans out there and uh, founded a number of movie studios out there. And we will go through them all. So Samuel Goldwyn was born in Warsaw in 1879 to a Hasidic Jewish family. Uh, I'm going to completely butcher his real name, so uh, apologies to our Hasidic fans, but uh, I'm going to say it is Shmuel Gelt Fitch. Uh, also note, Christine's cat just knocked over the <laughs> microphone because I butchered that name so much. Apologies to Christine and he's, her cat. He's
2: pro A Jewish Nixon Republican. pro-Jews. Yeah. <laughs> How
0: dare you? So, uh, Goldwyn moved to the United States in 1899 and changed his name not to Samuel Goldwyn, but Samuel Goldfish, which I feel uh, could be a future adorable uh, DreamWorks movie. Oh my
2: God. Yeah, like a fictionalized biopic.
0: Sam Goldfish. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So he started off as a glove maker for a couple of years, and then when his earnings uh, picked up, he entered the film business in 1913 for the company that would later become Paramount Pictures. So even before MGM, he was founding major film companies. Uh, From there, he left and uh, changed his name to Samuel Goldwyn and started Goldwyn Pictures in 1916. Uh, He made a couple of movies after that, and from there, partnered with uh, the Metro Pictures owner and Louis B. Mayer to form MGM. Their first contribution wasn't necessarily an iconic movie, but we are entering digression number one, because it is time to talk about Slats, Jackie, Bill, Telly, Coffee, Tanner, George, and Leo, also known as... The MGM Lion.
2: Wait, he has that many names?
0: Those were the names of all the lions that roared at the intro of the MGM logo.
2: Wait, they were different lions?
0: Different lions, Christine.
2: No, they were not.
0: The one who uh, started the very first time the MGM Lion was featured, the movie is called He Who Gets Slapped. An amazing name for a film.
2: (laughs) I mean, it's just what it says on the tin.
0: Yes. Unfortunately, the first line slats kind of got the raw end of the deal because he never got to roar. It was the silent film era. So he just appears and kind of stares around. Ugh, uh lazy. Yes, exactly. The uh, uh, lion that we know and love today, uh, his name is Leo. He is the most famous lion.
2: That is the uh, most unoriginal name for a lion.
0: I completely agree. Leo the lion. And uh, I did a fair amount of research on the MGM lions. Leo is not even my favorite lion of all of them. This lion's name is Jackie, and he is my favorite lion Uh, He was the second MGM Lion that was filmed. Get this for a badass motherfucker. This Lion's nickname was the Lucky Lion of the MGM Lions because Jackie, in his lifetime, survived a shipwreck, two train wrecks, an earthquake, an onset explosion... And the capper, a plane crash that left him stranded in the desert of Arizona for four days, and he stayed alive, surviving off of sandwiches and water.
2: Are we sure he didn't cause all of these disasters?
1: Oh, we're victim-blaming, Christine? Wow. I mean,
2: my cat's a Republican.
1: I know.
0: (laughs) So I'm going to share the photo that I just sent to Brian and Christine. Uh, That is a terrified Greta Garbo. Uh, sitting next <laughs> to Jackie the lion, and I would be terrified too. Uh, Her based body on...
2: language is loud and clear.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, not only is Jackie a gigantic lion, but, you know, he caused some major destruction here. Yeah. Or at least was part of some major destruction. So personally for me i think that jackie should get the accolades uh and not leo but leo is the lion that you see today a bit of mgm lion news they will be unveiling a new mgm logo featuring digitally remastered footage of leo from 1957 and that mgm studio crawl will premiere in the upcoming james bond film no time to die so we have that to look forward to Again, I think, or I would have wished for Jackie to have that honor because he clearly is the best of all
1: of the MGM lions. Who's going to be the breakout star of the new Bond movie? Is it going to be this
2: lion or is it going to be Ana de Armas? <laughs> Who's the most <laughs> overdue for their moment in right. on the A-list? Oh, my God. Is well, that a okay. lion? So no, that's a drunken Ben Affleck. Really answered, like, he wandered
0: onto the set that's again.
2: Okay. Um which lion was the one famously roaring at the beginning of The Wizard of Oz, thus signaling the viewer to start the Pink Floyd album?
0: Ooh, there actually is an answer to that. Uh, we'll edit this segment down. I'm going to look this up here. Jackie. <gasps> Jackie is the lion in The Wizard of Jackie Oz. Jackie
2: was the Wizard of Oz. Oh, Jackie, good for you. Yeah. All right.
0: So, uh folks, if you learn one thing on today's Limbaugh, it's that Jackie should be your favorite MGM lion and not Leo. Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. I mean my
0: favorite is Bert Lar as the Cowardly Lion, but
2: Oh my god, I what an iconic performance.
0: Oh <laughs> yes, so there are two lions in The Wizard of Oz. <gasps> yep. Jackie and uh and the Cowardly Lion. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right.
2: Incredible. Incredible. So
0: after MGM started, Louis B. Mayer took over, and Sam Goldwyn actually uh, formed another company, Goldwyn uh, Pictures, and went on to make such films as Guys and Dolls and Porgy and Bess. Uh, and, yeah, that was pretty much what he did. He was a studio titan. He lived to the age of 94. Uh, so I've thought long and hard about why... Richard Nixon chose Samuel Goldwyn. I did a bit of research on this. He has no ties to the Republican Party whatsoever, was not a big uh, contributor. That was my initial theory for why he would have received the award. I think that, you know, that's a pretty common thing with uh, Donald mm-hmm. Trump's choices as, oh my God, as major so contributors. Uh, so, yeah, I think that if I was to guess why... Uh, he was chosen is because richard nixon uh is a president from california and so i think he wanted to honor the film industry by choosing someone again who lived to the age of 94 which was unheard of in the 70s and uh was there from from the start of the movie industry uh At the time of his uh, medal ceremony, which was in 1971, uh, he was too frail to go to the White House. So Richard Nixon went to his house, uh, which is on 1200 Laurel Lane, and awarded the medal there. And uh, the story is, is once Richard Nixon gave the medal to Goldwyn, Goldwyn tugged on the president's lapel. Nixon went down and Samuel Goldwyn whispered into Nixon's ear, you're going to have to do better than that if you want to carry California. Wow. Which is an amazing thing to say to Richard Nixon.
1: That's such a good line that I was going to make a joke like, did Richard Nixon go himself or did he hire someone to break into his house? And my joke doesn't feel as good after that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Truly impressive stuff.
2: So,
0: uh, yeah, he a little story on the house. Uh, He moved into this house in 1934 and lived there until 1974 when he passed away. Uh, People who visited and partied at that house included Catherine Hepburn, Cole Porter, Irvin Berlin, Gary Cooper, Jack Benny, Frank Capra, Marlene Dietrich, Clark Gable, Lucio Ball, and Eleanor Roosevelt. So... A no famous people. No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Uh, It was actually in the Goldman family until 2015. His son uh, had the house, and when he passed away in 2015, it was sold to a new owner. Uh, And the owner has spent the last couple of years restoring the house. Uh, There is one addition that was made. A recording studio was uh, built in this house. Uh, And a album was recorded last year. Brian, if you I don't know if you've heard of the album. Uh, It's called uh, Folklore. No, I haven't. That's right. Because Taylor (laughs) Swift owns Samuel Goldwyn's house. Three episodes in a row with Taylor Swift. Thank you, folks. I did it. I did it. Samuel Goldwyn tied into Taylor Swift. Thank you very much.
1: We're going to fit her in every podcast. It's going to be like tasteception. Good. Brian, are you impressed? I'm blown away. I also can't believe that she owns that house and Rebecca Harkness's house in Newport, Rhode Island. Like, she is truly just, like, snatching up iconic real estate. That's right. Yeah. I, um, uh, I made sure to really,
0: like, go low-key whenever <laughs> I led up to that moment, and I think that I nailed it. Thank I'm you so much. I'm not sure if you were
2: far enough away from the mic with your screaming. <laughs> you're we'll welcome to our listeners' earbuds. And now we're recording that podcast,
1: this podcast in that very studio.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're Taylor, t- if you
1: could leave our drinks on the table there. Thank,
0: all right, oh, thank, thank you, so you so much. Thank you so much, sweetie. Thank you, Taylor. Okay.
2: okay. Um, your cat can stay.
0: <laughs> so uh, to conclude... This is our third medal profile after E.B. White and Helen Keller. I do have a question to pose. Uh, It seems like from my research that Samuel Goldwyn wasn't uh, necessarily a bad person or had any scandals or anything like that. But I do have to ask, does Samuel Goldwyn deserve the Presidential Medal of Freedom?
2: Can I go first because I'm a lady? Of course. Sure. Um,
0: Taylor, do you do you want to say no? Okay, <laughs> Christine, go ahead.
2: Um, tentatively, I want to say yes, and here's why. The movie industry is a not as, um, exclusively American industry, but I think um, you know Hollywood has become synonymous. Like you know, you, like it's a big deal when a town becomes synonymous with an entire industry, so. Um,
0: I get what I, you're saying. Yeah.
2: I think the fact that he was formative in making the the motion the motion picture industry what it is, um, not only is that a huge source of you know uh, commerce for the United States, which we are still in a capitalist society, as far as I can tell. Um, but it's you know it's sort of, and I think especially early on it, it was this sort of. Uh, vessel for um spreading American values. Um, you know, there were what was it? There's like the morality clause. There was like a while where there was a whole bunch of now very um innocuous stuff that you weren't allowed to do in movies. And um mm-hmm. so okay. That's those are that's my little spitball. I say like, yeah, I I could I could see a case for it, especially um <clears throat> Especially with what the the movie industry did for the United States as a as a country.
1: Yeah, for promoting American values, sure. So when I started doing the research, I had conflated Louis B. Mayer with uh, Samuel Goldwyn, and I would definitely have an easier time saying no to Louis B. Mayer. Um I just like I feel like every time he comes up in conversation it's not good there's that whole thing in the renee Zellweger judy movie where uh he has this like creepy scene where he on the set of the wizard of oz yes. where he's weird to the young dorothy or uh, the young judy is dorothy mm-hmm. um what i will say um and honestly like if you have some tea about samuel Goldwyn and you think that he should be canceled jump into our dms i want to hear yes. all of it um but at my podcast limbaugh podcast <laughs> He, uh, the only time that he had won an Academy Award during his career was the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award for contributions to humanitarian causes. So I'm going to agree with Christine and tentatively say yes, and say like if he was kind of using his profile. Uh, obviously, he started Two iconic, or was at the you know entered into the basement of two iconic movie houses. Um, I feel like he had an illustrious career, and if he was using that power. Uh, not only to spread American values, but to do good work. Then, yeah, let's let's give the 74-year-old man who literally owned Richard Nixon to his face after making him come <laughs> all the way to his house in California. <laughs> let you know, give him two medals. 94, yeah, not 74, 94. Oh, ni- is... I'm sorry, 74 was the year. 94 yes. years old. Yes, yeah. If you're able to take the president of the United States to his knees at 94 years old, yeah. <laughs>
2: in the middle
1: yeah in a in a previous episode i uh, mentioned
0: michael jordan and how he uh, had never done anything necessarily heroic which you can also qualify for sam goldwin but you're right i said that, that michael jordan uh deserved the award from obama because he did spread american values uh you know with the 92 olympics alone so Mm -hmm. I agree, Christine. You could absolutely say the same thing about Samuel Goldwyn and and how he spread uh, American culture and American values around the world. So who would Samuel Goldwyn be today? This was a stretch for me. I can start if you
1: want. If you want, like, everyone who I thought of, I was like, well, it can't be that person. It can't be that person. Like, you know, the first person you think of who's like a movie star maker who had, you you know, humanitarian ties and uh, was involved in politics was Harvey Weinstein. Please bleep that name. Um, And, yeah, uh, who did you come up with? Any, you're right, Brian.
0: Any movie producer that you've heard of, usually you've heard of because they were a creep, So, yeah, my uh, the person that I chose was Jerry Weintraub. Uh, He passed away a couple of years ago. He was a bit of a everyman who was uh, in the scene from the beginning. His initial success was he basically created the uh, arena show. Uh, He was the one that brought Elvis, Frank Sinatra, Bob Dylan and Led Zeppelin to these larger stages as opposed to a concert hall. Uh, And then from there he shifted into film production. He uh, was mainly responsible for bringing the Ocean's Eleven trilogy to the screen. But again, not necessarily nearly the success that Samuel Goldwyn had, but he's the only person I could think of.
1: That is a solid choice, and he's dead, so he can't let us down and do something horrible and terrible that, you know, like, people can, you know, get in the reviews and be like, how dare you give it to this person? Um, so, yeah, safe bet, you know. If you're going to bet on a white man in Hollywood, it, it's either Tom Hanks or someone who's already dead. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, he was already dead by the time Ocean's 8 was made, so he was not responsible for that disappointing film.
1: You know... They're, they're, they had so much good material. I don't know how what went wrong. Amazing cast, yeah, but still not a good film. Uh, Christine, who did you come up with?
2: Well, okay, so this, I don't know if this is a cheat because I had to, like, look some stuff up. I'm Out of the three of us, I'm the least of the, like, movie enthusiasts, um, so I can't just, like, rattle off major film producers off the top of my head. But the person I chose is Kathleen Kennedy. Um, Mm -hmm. and I chose her for two reasons. One is, um, she is one of the highest grossing film producers. I think she's behind, I lost my tab that had who she's behind. She's like the third most highest grossing, um, producer. She also started working her first film as a producer was a little movie called ET the extraterrestrial with a, a certain man named Steven Spielberg. And I sort of think of Steven Spielberg, I know he's a director, not a, producer right those are two different jobs as i understand it Um, dreamworks
0: years he was a producer
2: okay yeah but like back then he was just directing Mm -hmm. okay great um i think that his you know that's post jaws but after jaws and moving forward he kind of ushered in like a new type of filmmaking um and i think the idea that she kind of like that was the beginning of her career as a producer. It just feels like she kind of like, um, Goldwyn was like there at the beginning of of something. And, um, And ushered
0: in a genuine game changer in the film industry as well.
2: Yeah. And then I think now she's, or, yeah, she's the president of Lucasfilm. <laughs> a little, uh, <laughs> outfit called Lucasfilm. Um, and feel however you may about the various, um, properties that the Star Wars has come out with lately. It's certainly, um, certainly an impressive resume that she has i mean i could i could rattle off some of these movies that she's pr- produced and um it's basically like your entire childhood anyway that's my she's my pick
1: um so i have a baby one that um i would give one to amy pascal because she was the sole producer of greta Gerwig's little women and I'm sorry, but anyone who's, you know, bringing films like that to the to the big screen deserves to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. But um, when I thought about people who are um, Hollywood honchos, producers, directors, um, and also kind of like fostering talent and doing a thing where they're using their storytelling to kind of um, highlight American voices that are not, you know, heard enough, um, I'm going to go with Spike Lee. mm
3: Hmm.
1: You know, I oh. think the 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 Academy made him wait uh, so many, many, many years for uh, recognition. I say Joe Biden gets in early. Just, you know, let's first class of medals. Let's give it to him.
2: Are you saying like it, it took them too long to do the right thing? Ha ha.
0: Well, there are a lot of bleeps on this show. A lot of bleeps. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hmm.
2: Wow. OK. <laughs>
1: All right, Clay. Thank you for a great profile on Samuel Goldwyn. Coming up, an interview with comedian Johnny Chakravarti.
0: Our guest today is uh, california Rays, Brooklyn-based. She is a actor, writer, comedian. Uh, You also know her as the current reigning champion of the television, show Survivor, uh, it says here, the source of that is her dreams. Johnny Chakravarty, welcome to the (laughs) Limbaugh.
3: Can you imagine me on Survivor?
0: I think you'd actually do very well.
3: Maybe in the social aspect, but really me running through the sand kill me
0: but i feel like i feel like just all of you gathered around a log at the campfire just like you would you know really get in depth with with speaking and you know eventually you would sneak away and then get whatever it is that you're supposed to get okay should we should we get into this
3: yeah let's do it
0: president chakravarty (laughs) gives us gives us her pick for the medal of freedom
3: um So for my Medal of Freedom, I would award it to the creator, the founder, the icon, Harry Snyder of In-N-Out Burger.
0: Wow, that's (laughs) a choice. (laughs) <laughs> it, I, this is the first Medalist <laughs> that I've never heard of Before to be honest with you Who the hell is this person oh
3: my, What well, is his name again The big question, well, have you had in and out
0: I have had in and out yes There uh, is one in Fort Worth Texas and my parents Took me there to eat it once Before they dropped me off at the airport It was very yes, good
3: I believe yeah. they opened the Texas locations In 2011 on my birthday May 11th, 2011
0: I love how, have you ever even been to Texas before? No, (laughs) no, no. But you know, the Texas date of In-N-Out Burger. So as a young child, you bit into this cheeseburger and then said, I'm going to give them a presidential medal of freedom.
3: It changed the game for me. My parents were, well, my parents are both from India, right? A predominantly Mm -hmm. vegetarian state. My parents never had beef prior to immigrating and so when they did they thought it was like a when in rome situation so they were like well okay. we gotta to go to mcdonald's and get it over with <laughs> so they went to mcdonald's it was a my-
0: right of america to eat <laughs> yeah. a, an awful hamburger
3: a hundred percent stepped off at jfk airport and we're like we gotta do it <laughs> <laughs> so they go to mcdonald's my mom has never had at this point hasn't had neither chicken or fish my dad has had chicken fish and lamb would be the red meat that they okay that they eat no beef and they go in my mom she's like halfway through a cheeseburger runs to the bathroom she's sick it's not a good time she's throwing up my dad goes and orders like four more burgers he was like i don't know what you people did but these are thank you so much so he's hooked on the red meat game right my mom not about it i was not doing it not having it my mom basically was like we're raising her a vegetarian i'm not doing this he was like okay all right fine and so they basically stuck with it until one day in like preschool, my hot boyfriend Ryan, can't remember his last name because <laughs> that's how little he meant to me. boyfriend Didn't we all?
1: I guess
0: you ha-
3: Did you not have a girlfriend in preschool?:
0: I got it, admit. I maybe I forgot.
3: You know, it's okay. it's easy to forget. I forgot his last name. All right. you know, he had blonde hair. Little nose, little button nose. So anyway, at my my preschool on Wednesdays, they would do a thing where like one Wednesday would be Pizza Hut. Another Wednesday, it would be like a KFC. And then another one would be McDonald's. So It would be a rotation. It sounds like
0: your childhood was basically a scene from E.T. is is what this is.
3: Yeah, and Harry Snyder was in my closet wearing old ladies clothes when I found him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm little Drew Barrymore <laughs> right? <yes. laughs> and when I find him. Oh, so I wasn't allowed to partake in those days because of the meat. So I would yeah, be able rules. to have, like, mom's rules. I would be able to get French fries. And so I look over at Sexy Little Ryan. I'm like, can I have a bite? And he's like, yeah, okay. And I take a bite. And then I, have a, I still have this, like, burned into my brain. On the corner of my eye, I see two teachers, like, running at me in slow motion. Like, <laughs> got shut down no one's like what's happening over here they slap (laughs) (laughs) right they slap it out of my hands poor ryan didn't even get to eat his burger that day i know (laughs) and that's how things ended just kidding but so i they had to call my mom and be like we're so sorry but she had beef today and my mom just her face filled with dread. And my dad was like, okay, so she would beef. What's going <laughs> to happen? Welcome to the club, Johnny. <laughs> I know, right? And so my mom would travel a lot for work and so on. One of those times, so if my dad, and he was like, I mean, the man loves a cheeseburger. He loves meat. And he was like, well, we could go in and out for food. I was like, what? So you like, like
0: started off. As a young child playing around with McDonald's, but very quickly graduated to the hard stuff within and out.
3: Oh, absolutely! Once okay. I had my first bite, I didn't get the hype because at the time, like McDonald's because isn't like you were great, six. right? I'm also a child, and I'm like, <laughs> right. I'm sorry, but this meat isn't quality. Yeah. <laughs> so my dad's like, he loves it and out, and he has since the first day he had it because they moved to L.A. In 1982, my sister was mm-hmm. one. And then at that point, they lived in New Jersey. So she was born in New Jersey. They came to L.A. And so he <laughs> had In-N-Out was like, holy shit. And it became like a family staple because my sister never went through a vegetarian phase. She, they raised her to eat everything. So they would get In-N-Out. And then they brought me in on this little get-together. And I was like turned And I and I really mean it. Something happened in my brain, in my body, like sparks. It's that it's like that thing where they focus in on your eye and suddenly you can see the universe. Sure. That's what it was. We're still talking
0: about a hamburger place. right?
3: (laughs) I reached enlightenment upon bite number one. Okay, and here's the thing. Here's why I think that he does deserve um, the, the Medal of Freedom is because to me, to change the burger game the way that he did in such fast service, he 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 came up with the two way speaker box. Hairy.
0: Bravery. Yeah. Yeah.
3: You know, for the drive through. And also, I do.
0: I remember just like hearing like, oh, my God, in and outs coming in and outs coming And like, I'd never really heard of them before just because, you know, they weren't in Texas. And so, yeah, right. it was a big deal when they opened over here.
3: And I, I've heard a lot of people say that it is overhyped. And I get that. I get that. You know, it doesn't have to be for not everybody has like everything. It's definitely right. like the fact that it was such a fundamental part of like my childhood and something that my but family it also sounds did. like
0: they treat employees decently, which is like yeah. a big thing. You don't really get that a lot today in like major chains.
3: Exactly. I think so too. And they do make sure people are taken care of, which I very much appreciate because where, where, where do you see that? You only see that in right. small businesses, you know? Yeah. And also, when you bite into it, like, they're the, they were the first fast food chain, chain to put Thousand Island on a burger. And to me, it's just genius because of the tang that it brings to a burger. They mustard Absolutely. grill it. And I so when remember they remember that. Yes. They'll put mustard on the grill and then lay the patty on the mustard so that, like, acidic tanginess now is being cooked with like the fat of the beef and it's just being soaked into that pat. i mean come on
0: can i be honest with you we're we're recording this interview at 8 15 at night before i've had (laughs) dinner and i hate you for for scheduling this for then because i'm starving right now
3: i actually can't believe i'm not being paid to do this because i (laughs) like i are you kidding me
0: so what when you go when you're visiting home?
3: Mm-hmm. What
0: do you order? Take me through it.
3: So we pull up at the drive-through. Pre- My family's probably annoyed that we're there to begin with. I've been doing You've been this thinking since I, for
0: like... five and a half hours about exactly what you're going to order.
3: Also, even when they picked me up from the airport when I was in college, so this has been a thing since I was eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think the last time we did this was the last time I was home, which was like two years ago. So I'm getting. A double-double animal style, which is when they do Thousand Island dressing, grilled onions. And um, there's usually like extra mustard grilled patties. So instead of doing your... Because I think the regular cheeseburgers don't do mustard. I should
0: have never asked this question because now (laughs) I'm just like, I'll, I'll eat my cat right now. I'm that hungry. (laughs)
3: <laughs> Honestly, yeah Throw a little Thousand Island I'll on turn her.
0: into a mini elf.
3: <laughs> Put Thousand Island and some pickles on that cat And you will not think yeah. differently
0: I do, I have to ask Because my co-hosts are both native New Yorkers Love it uh, I want you to <laughs> Kind of throw down the gauntlet Why is in and out Burger Better than Shake Shack?
3: Ooh Okay, so I, I need to address that I am a fan of both. Okay. It's, it's important to know that because I do feel like it's so easy to take sides. Um, I think they both bring two different things to the table. I think that the things that I was talking about with the In-N-Out Burger, with the tanginess and the freshness, I don't get tang – or freshness from Shake Shack. If you even get lettuce, you're lucky. And I don't know if right. you've ever, it's like, I need to see my lettuce peeking out the edges. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I like knowing that my cheeseburger has been put into a, a sleeping bag pe- bun. I want to see the, the, you the stuff. You want to know that
0: it's cared for, right? Yes,
3: when you tuck your kid into bed, they pull the blankets up to their neck, but you see their heads peeking out of the covers and you're like, that's how I know you're safe in bed. <laughs> That's a cared for child. That is a cared for child. I want to see all of my ingredients doing the same with the blanket bun pulled up all the way to their heads. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I want to see their heads peeking out of the covers. I want to know that there's a secret flashlight under there so if when I go to bed, they can read their book under the covers. Absolutely. That's a well-taken-care-of child, and that's how well-taken-care-of I want my my burger to be.
0: And that's why Harry Snyder deserves the Presidential Medal of Freedom.
3: Thank you because he instilled those values in his family to continue carrying them on and in a way that they still take care of their employees.
2: I like it.
0: So,
3: what do you think? We have
0: Harry Snyder.
3: Harry Snyder as Harry Snyder's legacy. Yeah,
0: that's right. (laughs) So, what about the limbaugh?
3: Okay, that one is going to have to go right to fashion designer Alexander McQueen for introducing low-rise jeans into the ether. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) You made... You made... I mean...
0: I had no idea that he was the one that popularized that.
3: He had... It was like, I believe in like the 90s, maybe like 1997, he had a line... It was like the taxi driver line or something. And they were called the Bumpsters, B-U-M-S-T-E-R, because, you know, they're just like they sit right above the crack. Right. And then they blew up. They blew up in the same way that like um, T-shirt dresses became popular because I believe it was Balenciaga just put their name on a T-shirt. And the girl wore like a 2XL, no pants, boots. Fashion. Fashion. Okay, he's like, I know, I'll take one thousand
0: dollars extra large T-shirt.
3: There you go. He's like, I know, I'll take jeans and take four inches off the top. (laughs) Good luck, ladies.
0: I'm going to reduce the amount of material and I'm going to make you pay more for paying for having less material.
3: Yes. And like, I I don't think that you ever had to have the struggle of like trying to pull those up and keep them up because they didn't. They did not stay up. I Even with said, a belt. Oh my God! There's no. Or do ch- you just do not you- wear belts? You, if you did wear a belt, I don't think like at the time it was like cool to wear a belt. To it's wear a like belt, as you yeah. get, as you get uh, get older you stop caring of like what's cool and what's not. It's like, I need this. I need this belt. And then you can like figure out how to make it work at the time. It's like, I've dropped something and now it will stay there because if I tried to get bend over and get it, I would end up pantsing myself. I would pants. myself. So
0: give me your history with the low rise, Alexander McQueen jeans. Like how old were you when you tried them on? I take it. It was a bad experience.
3: Oh, A thousand percent. I also, when I was younger, was, I mean, I just did that first part about my love of a cheeseburger. So obviously Uh I was a chubby little child. Right. (laughs) Um, And so when you um, have a, a chubby little tum tum, you need jeans to come over them. And then the fact that these jeans couldn't do that, they would just sit right under my pooch. Like, so my little tummy would just kind of, like, muffin over the edge. And so I was like, I have no hope of pulling these up any further. And so I still remember my tummy just, like, being scratched by the zipper. Oh. Yeah, it hurt. It really did.
0: Oh. But like every kid in your school is wearing those too, so I'm sure like All a lot of people
3: America have, is wearing yeah, these right, right now. So it's like I can't not wear them because then I'll be the weirdo that's not wearing them. You <laughs> know, but it's like they only work for a very specific type of individual, which is why when we're did the you give up? Did.
0: Like when did you stop wearing those?
3: Mm when my problem I think I want to say my senior year when my sister told me I had to stop living like that <laughs> she was like you just have to stop trying to make it work she's like there is no point there's no point and I was like no I have to she was like I swear to god what if I told you you didn't have to I was like no no I have to because I- you're in high school, you're so concerned with like doing what it is. Also, I went to high school in Los Angeles where it's like you mm. have to look trendy. Ugh, a nightmare. I couldn't
0: imagine what that would be like. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But then, you know what? The high waisted slowly rose in popularity when I was in college, so I felt less crazy, and then, ah, oh, these past few years have been amazing with the high waisted. Feel like women have spoken, they were heard. The high waisted are probably here to stay
0: absolutely yeah i've even i've uh, started wearing pleated pants again too, <laughs> have which you? is is great because you have two options for buying mm-hmm. pleated pants right you can either go to uh like an Armani or somewhere like that and pay a thousand dollars for the pants. there's no like mid level h and m like uni clothing, so okay, you either okay. go to Armani. Or Lands End, <laughs> guess which one I go to—the one that End. my grandpa goes to—and I, I think I pay like thirty dollars for them, and I love it. I, I wear them every day to work. Yeah,
3: that's where I had to order my uniforms from that I just mentioned in middle school. Oh,
0: that's amazing. Lands, oh, Land's End, is End the best. catalog. Yeah.
3: yeah, Lands End is like Brooklyn
0: hipsters it... and grandmas from Iowa are like their two main clientele.
3: Is it also like Lands End is like very like main patagonia-esque
0: oh yeah like energy, if you're right? not fancy if you're not fancy enough for patagonia you go to Lanzac you go I to i embrace it yeah yeah <laughs>
3: it's like if because patagonia also falls into the l.l bean category right mm-hmm. okay
0: not not fancy enough for l.l for bean either
3: yeah oh wow okay i don't know yeah. how these like white clothing tier systems work so, yeah, so it's Pol- basically,
0: uh, let's see, how can we do it on the power ranking? Um, I'd say probably like target lands end LL Bean, Eddie Bauer Patagonia. Oh.
3: So if yeah. pa- if Patagonia is Martha Stewart, what, what is target on your white? No.
0: Oh, okay. Really? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Interesting.
0: Yeah. Johnny, this is this is great. Any anything else you want to say? What uh, what are you thinking as a native Californian? What are mm-hmm. you thinking of, uh, of Vice President Kamala Harris's performance so far?
3: Thus far? Well, I got to say, I'm very happy to see someone of Indian heritage in the White House. That's extremely exciting. Her name, I, I was
0: an early I was an early supporter of her. I, yeah. you know, she she ran a very uh, sloppy presidential campaign, but I was very happy when she was named as vice presidential candidate.
3: Yeah, I think in definitely in terms of like a a person that comes from multiple cultures that are that need to be represented in this country. So great. Um pick from that standpoint also her middle name and uh the name that my parents call me is the same name so it's very very nice to be able to see her name on paper that's awesome i know it's nice it's nice we have very the cool. same uh giant muppet eyes so that's also nice to see
0: when people are like <laughs> i imagine the vice like president me. is not a fan of low-rise jeans
3: oh there's no way she has common right. sense i would hope
0: yeah common and, sense and uh you've seen her chucks right
3: i have i also yeah. am a fan of i i wear white chucks you see my white chucks
0: oh i know i know you
3: i'm a fan of the white chuck i love it yeah, yeah.
0: california you love girls love to see it
3: california girls we're <laughs> undeniable
0: johnny Chakravarti, <laughs> thank you so much for being on this oh my is God, amazing are you
3: kidding thank you i loved it
0: <laughs> i'll see you later
3: okay bye-bye. bye bye <laughs> bye
1: It's time for our medals of the week. Um, I um, am this week's uh, Whoopi Goldberg. I get to be in the moderator chair, so I am going to go first. I want to put a little spoiler alert. uh, Skip ahead about 30 seconds, maybe 60 seconds. If you are at all invested in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and have not seen the latest episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I will not be... Um apologizing. That's my rule. No apologies, no explanations. Uh, so not next
2: week, not ever.
1: never. i don't I don't want to hear it if it gets spoiled. Uh, this is your warning. Um, but my medal of the week would go to probably the person who we've discussed on this show that I think is most likely to actually get the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and that is Julia Louis Dreyfus. I could definitely see Joe Biden giving her the medal because she was veep.
2: Yeah, was
1: the veep. I mm-hmm. just. You know, and while she could be recognized for this for a multitude of reasons, I mean, Seinfeld, uh the aforementioned Veep, even she even won an Emmy for the old the new adventures of old Christine. I mean, the woman is nonstop. Like you just you cannot. She's undefeated. She um, broke
2: the Seinfeld curse.
1: With, they're all uh, no one else can figure out how to do that. That guy who played Putty, he's like, how is she doing this? <laughs> um But the real reason why I want to give it to her is because she, this week, uh, laid out a masterclass in trolling. Uh, Towards the end of the run of Veep, uh, she was interviewed by Vanity Fair magazine. And she's interviewed with, I believe, the creator of the show and Tony Hale. And the interviewer from Vanity Fair says to them, what do you think uh, Julia should do next? And I believe it's Tony Hale looks dead at the guy from Vanity Fair or woman, the writer and says, she should be a Marvel villain. And they all laugh. And she says, could you imagine me up on the, uh, in a harness up on some strings? Oh my God. And they like, they just, they laugh. And this week on Falcon and the winter soldier, Julia Louis-Dreyfus made an explosive cameo where she sort of introduced herself as the evil version of Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury. And it appears that she's putting together some sort of, like, evil anti-Avengers squad. And at that time when she made that interview, she knew. Like, those people at Marvel and Disney are so secretive and, like, they're uh, hush-hush. They're on every interview and every phone call that anyone on their cast or crew is on. I mean... The idea that she straight up told one of the biggest publications in the world, like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll be a Marvel villain. And we all it was all it was there. This wasn't an Easter egg. It was truly iconic. And for that reason. And I mean, she's great on the show. Um, I, I wonder very if Tony Hale knew. I, I feel like he had to have like, I mean, you know, he's always in her purse. I'm sure I he choose saw to something. believe
2: that they're best friends in real life.
1: Yeah. They better be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, here's looking at you. Cannot wait to see you in, like, Ant-Man 7 or mm. whatever you're going to be doing.
2: You know she can exchange quips with the best of them. So I feel like, yeah, I want to see her face-to-face with, with you know, Star-Lord and Ant-Man and the guys who think they're, like, so clever. Because she's definitely more clever than there. are <sighs>
1: You know, she is truly my favorite Avenger, and she's only been <laughs> in, like, 36 <laughs> seconds of footage. Um, Christine, who are you giving your medal to this week?
2: Um, so this week uh, is a late-breaking one, and it's going to be a posthumous Lifetime Achievement Presidential Medal of Freedom for Walter Fritz Mondale who has just passed away as we're recording this he passed away yesterday april 19th at the age of 93 um so walter mondale um people are ages clay is like a very very late gen xer i'm in like cusper and brian's an early um millennial um someone like walter mondale is a little bit passe for us like you know, we kind of know who he is and blah, blah, blah. But like he's he really hadn't st- you know, he doesn't have like a witty Twitter presence and he doesn't um, he hasn't been memed like Bernie Sanders. Like he's just kind of, um, you know, I th- unfortunately I think it took him dying to to for probably a lot of people our age to really understand his place in the uh, in the Democratic Party. So Fritz Mondale actually lost to Ronald Reagan twice. Um, first as, you know, the reelection campaign with, uh, Jimmy Carter, Mondo was the vice president and they lost pretty handily to, um, Reagan and Bush. Uh, and I actually went back and looked, you can see it on C-SPAN, which is one of my favorite websites. Um,
0: which says so much about you.
2: <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Um, so he, much like, uh, one Michael Pence had to do, <laughs> On January 6th, uh, Mondale, as the vice president, had to count the votes for his own um, electoral loss. And he actually, like, made a joke about it. He announced um, the the electoral votes and sort of was like, well, I guess it's good if you're a Republican. Ha, ha, ha. And um, it was just kind of nice to remind myself how someone faces defeat with kind of grace and good humor instead of by, say, launching an attack on the Capitol. There were no... Uh, gurney's gurney no not gurney what's the thing with the noose on it? Gallows. Is that a gurney it's a gallows, gallows. gallows. Is- <laughs> okay <laughs> I, you know i'm not a medical expert guys i'm just a history nerd so don't it's
0: okay i mean i i on. was looking forward to like the uh next show's corrections and updates but you know you got it okay yeah
2: i'll apologize to big big gurney um after next week um, yeah, so that happens.
0: Like, I feel like Spalding would make a good gurney.
2: I mean, someone makes the gurneys, and yeah. I, I'm sure we're going to hear from...
0: They make, like, basketballs and gurneys. Those are their <laughs> two main markets.
2: Well, yeah, because basketball players are always getting hurt and, like, dragged out of the, um, the thing on a... Anyway, <clears throat> isn't the gurney just the top part and the stretch... Or, no, the stretcher is the top part and the gurney is the entire...
0: I don't know. We're going to do a deep dive on gurney. Gurney's next okay. time. I'll make okay. up some flashcards for next time.
2: Um, so Gurney enthusiast Walter Mondale, after losing uh, as vice president to Reagan and Bush, four years later, he's like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. I'm going to run for president and uh, pick a woman, the first ever uh, female vice president pick on a major ticket, um, Geraldine Ferraro. Um, and that didn't go great either. Uh, in fact, they had, they faced the, lar- well, arguably the largest or one of the largest uh, electoral uh, losses of all time, the only state that he won. Was- I think it had
0: less to do uh, with him picking a woman candidate, more to do with the baby movers fully going to Reagan.
2: Oh, they loved him. Yeah, they were like Reagan Democrats. It was a whole thing, yeah. but he got just blown out of the water. And it's. Um, You know, so it it happens to the best of us, and it happened to Fritz Mondale. Um, There's sort of, I guess, um, two different ways, right, to measure um, a presidential election loss, um, popular vote margin and electoral vote margin. So the Franklin D. Roosevelt versus Alf Landon in 1936 is the largest... um, electoral victory um no i'm sorry popular victory but the ronald reagan versus walter mondale was the largest electoral victory um the only state that walter mondale won oh no wait, I'm, I'm skipping ahead sorry but when he ran for president against reagan for his second um term he the only state he won was his home state. He literally lost every other state, so it's he
1: also won the District of Columbia, which, if the Democrats have their way, will be the fifty first state. Here we go.
2: You're correct. Um, anyway, just to conclude, you know, there were some historic first. Obviously, he was the uh, first woman to first man to pick a woman for his vice presidential ticket. Uh, and so it's actually nice to know that he got to live to see Kamala Harris inaugurated as vice president. Um, And apparently he also when he was Carter's vice president, um, he was the first to kind of establish a more equal partnership with the president, um, which you could argue in some cases that might have been harmful precedent to send (coughs) Dick Cheney. Um, And then I don't know as of when I was doing this research, I don't know exactly what the cause of death was, but he like knew his time had come because he spent the weekend. Saying his goodbyes, actually, it's pretty sweet. He called um, Jimmy Carter, who's apparently very sad to have lost his old buddy. He called Jill and Joe Biden, and he sent a goodbye email to his staffers. Um, the text of which is has been released, and it's like cute, and it like has exclamation points in it. In the end. Um, he told his uh, people he knew they'd keep fighting the good fight, which was also the name of his memoir. So I'm just. I think Walter and I we double checked Walter Mondale did not win um, a presidential medal of freedom. And I I honestly think, you know, a long career in public service was kind of like marred by, you know, this historic loss. But um, looking into it, there's a lot more to him than just like guy who lost by the most votes ever. (laughs)
0: I almost feel like that type of of Democrat, though, almost made a comeback at the end of his life because the consequence of that type of landslide defeat that Mondale had brought in a more uh, center and, frankly, right-leaning type of Democratic Party after that. Uh, Obviously, uh, a Democrat didn't win president again until Bill Clinton. And you can tell from his legacy of deregulation and a lot of social aspects that – That's not necessarily what the Democratic Party is today. Walter Mondale's Democratic Party is more like it is today. So Mm -hmm. I think that he did have a bit of a uh, return to his legacy toward the end of his life.
2: I think so, too. Yeah, hopefully he got to see some of that stuff pay off. Um And, um, yeah, but it's just, he wasn't like the bit, like we were saying earlier, he wasn't the big personality. He wasn't super charismatic. He didn't clearly give a crap about social media. So he just wasn't like a persona for the younger, um, generation of, of the party. I think it's
1: interesting that he had like kind of, uh, little bit of a resurgence in the last couple of years, because I think that there's been a reexamination of the Carter administration as a whole and Jimmy Carter's presidency. And then, uh, when vice president Harris was selected as the nominee, yeah. uh, you know, we kind of looked around and we like, okay, when has this happened before? And the Hillary wound was too soon or, you know, too fresh. Uh, no one wanted to go out and look for Sarah Palin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and there was kind of this focus where, you know, all of the media was kind of like, OK, it's Mondale and Ferraro. Let's talk about it. Let's get into it. And, um, yeah. you know, I think, uh, as you said, it's it's very, very nice that he lived long enough to see uh, something that he was the architect for by, you know, having a uh, woman on the ticket. Agreed. Clay, uh, who is your medal going to this week?
0: Yeah, uh, rest in peace, Walter Mondale. So uh went from Disney Plus with Brian, and uh, I'm returning it back to, to HBO, uh, and another interesting documentary. Uh, this time it doesn't have anything to do with Tina Turner. Uh, this has more to do with history. Uh, I watched a very fascinating four-part documentary uh, that premiered in March called Exterminate All the Brutes, which is by a uh, Haitian filmmaker named Raoul Peck. Uh, The story behind the film itself is that he uh, was nominated for an Oscar for Best Documentary for a James Baldwin documentary called I Am Not Your Negro, Uh, And HBO approached Peck and said, you know, blank check, you can make a documentary on whatever you'd like. So he uh, absolutely cashed the blank check that he was given and decided to do a deep dive into the legacy of European colonialism around the world. Uh, and it is very much a tale of, uh, the victors, write The story of history. Yeah. So what would that perspective be by the people that, uh, lost in this colonialism, uh, whether it is a legacy of genocide, uh, or just straight up, uh, being kicked out of your own country, uh, whether, you know, it is, is many parts of Africa or native Americans, uh, Very interesting style that the film is made into. Uh, There's very much a a Werner Herzog influence to the documentary, but uh, for a documentary about extermination, I uh, have to be honest and say it's actually very playfully made, uh, which was an intention of the director. Uh, There's some very interesting asides. He is close friends with Josh Hartnett, And so they basically cast Josh Hartnett in all of the roles of the colonialists uh, going from today all the way back to the 1400s. And it is kind of it's and it works. And the joke is that to uh, these people that were victims of uh, colonialism, that all white people look the same and so it's just Josh oh. Hartnett over and over and over again and i'm telling you you should absolutely check out this documentary uh i will promise you that you haven't seen many films uh made in this vein and he absolutely takes chances with this film uh and yeah it uh I think that you'll actually enjoy it it's It's something that uh that hasn't necessarily been talked about that often in historical documentary making, mostly because it is a very large and painful subject for a lot of uh, history in the the uh, last half millennia. so yes, exterminate all the brutes hBO.
2: All right. what was the director's name again?:
1: Raul Peck is his name Nice. It's always nice to see someone use their blank check for something worthwhile. If I had a blank check, I'd make like a Martha Stewart biopic. So like the idea that someone's actually telling like a worthwhile story with theirs, like kudos to that man. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: It's when you realize it, you do see the production values of it and the risks that he takes the first time that you're watching this, this uh, documentary and you say to yourself, wait, is that Josh Hartnett? Is a magical time.
2: <laughs> he was did either of you watch Penny Dreadful? He was actually really good in that.
0: I heard that he's kind of semi retired and that he just does projects that he likes now. And so yeah, he was friends with uh with the director and uh and was like, Okay, sure, I'll play the villain in every single scene.
2: I just said maybe yeah, maybe we've been sleeping on Josh Hartnett.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Maybe. I'd like to. Uh, I'd like to get Josh Hartnett's pick on who uh, he would give his limb to. <laughs> so, Josh Hartnett, if you hear this, jump in the DMs. We'll get you on the next show. Yes, yes. <laughs> buy buy stock in Josh Hartnett. His time is coming, folks. What what are we going to call the Hartnett Renaissance? I wonder. You know, like reconnaissance like yeah. uh, workshop it. You know,
2: okay. I want to be part? in on
1: the. I want. I want to be on the ground level for this. Restart the heart. <laughs> okay well uh great show guys great picks uh we will see everyone next week um can't wait to see what you guys have to apologize for yes okay. limbaugh podcast twitter look us up
2: don't forget to to subscribe smash that subscribe button
1: smash that subscribe at limbaugh podcast leave a review only if you love it mm-hmm. <laughs> Bye. see you later guys bye, bye. have a good week